I want to say a special hello to all of our folks that are serving and might be tuning in into this later. We got, uh, we got folks downtown serving over probably about 150, 160 people for lunch today. We've got Pastor Lily out in El Salvador. We've got people just serving everywhere, and, and uh, I'm so glad that we're a church that just sends people out all the time. That's, that's a blessing. Uh, we, we also have, as Philip talked about the app, we also have this prayer guide on the app that I've been pointing to every day, and I had somebody come up to me today and say, you know what, I've been praying that thing. I've been, I've been using it. I've, it's been kind of a long time, like, follower of Jesus, and he goes, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been using it, and, and, and sometimes even, even at work, I'm just going to it because it's just, you know, it's helping me. I'm like, well, praise God. So we're in this series on prayer called More Than Words, and in the first week, we, the big idea was this. The goal of prayer is not to pray. The goal of prayer is to be formed. We're all formed into something, and, and prayer is one of these forms of life. And so if your life is like a bunch of wet concrete and you just pour it out without a form, it's just going to go out into a big old pile of mush. But prayer is this thing that forms your life. Other things form your life too, but... I really want to focus on prayer forming our lives. Last week we talked about how to hear from God, and one of the big things we, 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 we kind of said during that sermon was if we're going to hear from God, we have to turn down the noise around us. We have to submit ourselves to God. We have to be with God. I want to close this little three-week series with this, um, this particular type of prayer, and it's a prayer for unity, a prayer that unites Unity is an intentional movement towards others for a shared purpose. Unity is an, is, a, is, is an intentional movement towards others for a shared purpose. Now, we've, we, we, we pray unity. We say unity. It's, 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 it's in our creeds. It's in our, in our national it's in, it's in like the pledges that we have. It's, unity is, is all around us, but in... Like, like in, in words, if we strive for unity and we work for unity, there has to be an intentional movement toward others, which means that we, we have to like give of ourselves. I feel that we, especially those of us in the church, we are in danger of being more divided than we've ever been. We're in danger because um, we, we just really have a big challenge with unity when it comes to what makes us different. You know, you've, you've got, on a global scale, you've got this, this uh, division and this conflict in the Middle East. We have the division and the conflict in, in Ukraine and Russia. We've got the 2024 election coming up. And there's already stances and divisions and bad-mouthing and talking. We've got opinions and stances. And division is what will make us weaker because we will literally fight ourselves. But I want to draw us back to this truth in this final sermon of the series, this prayer for unity, because we can be strong in Christ and not be divided by our opinions we can strive for unity together, but here's, here's the thing. It's going to take submission. It's going to take giving of ourselves in an intentional way. One of the first stories about unity in the Bible come from the book of Genesis. 
And if you're not familiar with the book of Genesis, it's that very first book in the Bible. And in the 11th chapter, there's a story called the Tower of Babel. Say Babel. Like that's an old, Old Testament word that was put in there long before like the app Babel came out. The Tower of Babel. What was happening during this time is people, humanity, was building this tower to the heavens and they were so aligned, they were so unified that God looked down and said, gosh, if, 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 they, if, they, have one, if, if they are so unified, nothing is going to stop them. In verse 6 it reads this way, the Lord said, look, they are one people. And they all have one language. And this is, the only, this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. There's this biblical truth around unity that if people are so aligned and they're speaking the same language, nothing can stop them. It might be why in Acts chapter 2, God, uh, the Holy Spirit, came down and, 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 and gave a common language through the gift of tongues. There was this dynamic, and some of you are like, yeah, but keep on reading in Genesis 11. Yeah, what happens is God confused their languages. But why did he confuse their language? Because this unity was so powerful. Can you imagine if we were a church, like, like all the other stuff in the world, let's just boil it down to our church. If we were a church to where the language that we spoke and the, the passions of our heart were aligned so much that it's like we were speaking the same language. Almost like we were finishing each other's sandwiches, exactly. <laughs> Our text for today comes from the book of Romans, chapter 15. We're going to read verse 5, 6, and 7. Let me give you a little bit of context here. The book of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul to the Romans there in the city of Rome. Written to the churches there. And he's, he, he's, he's writing to them during a particular time in history. Have you ever heard of the emperor Nero? Nero, he, he was known as one of the uh, original villains in all of history. He was a bad man. He killed his own mom, killed his own mom. He kicked his pregnant wife to death. Just like terrible guy. Some of you were like, easy, I got kids in here. I'm so sorry. We got a fantastic kids ministry over there. If I'm, if I'm giving you too much, I'm sorry. Uh, Nero dressed as a woman and married a servant man of his because as emperor, he wanted to show everyone that he was a man god or the son of God and that he was able to be weak and strong at the same time. He was parroting and making fun of the, the Messiah kind of thoughts of the day that there needed to be a Messiah. So culturally, he had, he, he had this like... He had several marriages. He had several things going on. He, he, he once had a street party all over Rome where he commanded even the women of nobility to be prostituted so that the slaves could have their master's wives. He is credited with the fire of Rome. We don't know for sure whether he said it or not. Some of the legends go that he was playing music and dancing while Rome burned. And he blamed Christians for it, and he killed Christians for it, and he got the whole empire against Christianity because of how what happened to Rome with the fires. The, the tortures and the ways of death were very creative and very horrifying, something straight out of the Game of Thrones, mass executions and blame. And Paul is writing to the church during this guy's rule. I don't... 
I don't know whether you like our current president or our past presidents or our rulers, but I can tell you this, regardless of how much you may not like people, we've, we've not had a Nero in our lifetime leading our country, leading us. We've not had a Nero. We've not had a dictator with that kind of bloodthirst. And Paul is writing these words to a church in the middle of all of this worldwide. Rome was the center of the world, the empire of the world. He's writing these words in the middle of all this. Listen to what he says. He says, may the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another. In the middle of all of the turmoil that came with the latter part of Nero's reign, and all of the persecutions, and all of the trials, and all of the turmoil, and all of this, Paul is saying, oh, this God of steadfastness and encouragement, may he grant you to live with harmony in one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is our text for today because what he is, what he is exhorting them with is, is this idea, is this principle, is this value of unity. Elsewhere in Romans, and we'll, 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 we'll hit this a little bit later, in Romans chapter 12, he says, If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everybody. That, 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 that. That first part for Romans 15, he's speaking to the church about their relationship with each other. In Romans 12, he's literally talking to the church about how they engage this world of Nero. See, biblical unity is this moving toward each other. When we move away from each other, we disregard unity. Paul says in Galatians 3 that there's no longer Jew nor Greek, no longer slave nor free, no longer male nor female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. If you serve Christ Jesus, you have no excuse to divide yourself among other people who serve Christ Jesus. Because the power of God, this Jesus, this gospel, is so strong, it will unify those of you with even the furthest of opinions from each other. And I can feel the tension because some of you are like, okay, somebody can say they serve Jesus, but I feel like their opinion is immoral. Well, I think that makes the point all the more. If we're really serving Jesus, if we're really striving and pushing toward this Messiah, we should each have enough humility where we can be together. And this is the prayer that I want us to talk through today about unity. No divisions. Equality and equity with one another, one in Christ for a shared purpose. And what is that purpose? It's to glorify God. Now, some, some people read unity, and they believe that, that that means that we all have to do and say and think the same things. That we, we hold the same values, that we look the same way, etc. No, 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 no. That's called being weird. Nobody on the face of the planet believes the same thing as, as other people around them. As soon as we get three people in a room, there's three opinions about anything. They, they may agree on some things, but unity isn't when everyone does the same thing. Unity isn't when everyone looks the same way. Unity isn't when there is an exclusive club where only the people who think the same way are in and everybody else is they. That's a dynamic that we struggle with, isn't it? They. 
Well, they're tearing the world apart. Well, their opinions are causing the world to go to hell in a handbasket. Well, the way they think about this political issue or that political candidate, the way they do this, they are what's wrong, and we need, we need to pray for them. And then we were challenged pretty directly earlier, let's look at ourselves. When everybody has to look the same and think the same and be the same, that's called uniformity, and uniformity is not unity. Unity is willing to move toward each other, especially when there are differences. That's what unity is. Uniformity means that we, we just like the same stuff. It's like we're, we're in a club. It's like, you remember, remember the Little Rascals? I may, I'm dating myself here, but man, there's, they had the He-Man Woman Haters Club. That's uniformity. That's not unity. You know, what, you know what really kind of tore them apart? Was the introduction of Darla to Alfalfa. And only the four of you that have ever watched Little Rascals care about that. Let me get back to this. <laughs> what is our shared purposes? Especially because of our differences. Moving toward each other because of a shared purpose. And what is that shared purpose? It's Christ. The biggest testament to the glory of God. The biggest way we Christians can glorify God is to be the most diverse of people and to choose to move toward each other rather than to be repelled by each other in the middle of all that diversity. God created humanity and all of creation, both the same and diverse. If you look at the narrative of Adam and Eve, God did not, God did not bring forth Eve as an animal or another creature. He created Eve out of the sameness of the human man. And both of them were made in the image of God. You can't have a complete image of God with just one or just the other. What we have done with that unity is over periods of history, we have given the patriarchal right of dominance. Whereas now it is kind of frowned upon by some in our culture when the term women's rights or feminism or rights for all people, we have so many opinions on all those kinds of things. So here's my question to you as a, if, if you're a follower of Jesus. Is, is how are you doing with this unity thing like where where are you going to measure yourself it's it's bigger than than sports rivalry it's even bigger than politics it's even bigger than the dynamic that we see in the church right now of conservative christians looking at the next generation or look at people who are like de deconstructing in their faith can, can there be unity? Wouldn't it be a miracle if we could move toward each other because our love for Christ was so evident? To glorify God rather than just to get on social and destroy each other? Wouldn't that be a noticeable difference? But we have this problem. We have this problem. Like Paul gives this exhortation in the book of Romans, but we still have these, none of them are here today, of course. But I call them bullhorn spiritual loudmouths who want to condemn everyone and prove how right he or she is just because 
They're talking the loudest. I, have you ever met a person like this? There's no one here today like this, of course, where they just like to pontificate and be loud. And whenever our version of the truth divides our love for each other as Christians, I feel the need to prove how right I am, not to lower myself and humble myself to work with my love for you. You know what? Whenever our version of the truth divides our love for each other as Christians, Chances are Jesus ain't in the driver's seat for that. When we find ourselves tearing each other down, rather than seeking Christ and glorifying Christ, chances are we've allowed ourselves to be divided. I look at this, this text from Paul, and, and I see some prayers for unity that emerge from that. The first thing I see, if we're going to pray for unity, we need to pray that we see others the same way that Jesus sees us. We just say this with me out loud, pray to see others the way, same way that Jesus sees you, me. Here's what Jesus says in, Romans, I mean in uh, John chapter 13. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with our love for one another? Now, I believe everybody here, for the most part, we love each other. But what about the people who you may disagree with that also say that they follow this Jesus? What about even the people who may not follow Jesus? And then the words of Jesus say, you know, to even love your enemies. And you're like, they're not my enemy. I just disagree with them. Well, how much more is loving our enemies important in just the people who we disagree with? Like, loving our enemies seems like a really, really difficult thing to do. Someone that I don't, dis someone that I don't agree with? And this is really hard, especially for me. I'm not up here as some kind of guy who, who has perfected this. No, I'm on the journey for this. You know who is really difficult for me to, to, to be compassionate with? It's people who are very bad drivers. It's very difficult for me. And, and, and you're like, well, that seems pretty judgmental. Well, I know, but I see it as right. And who, right? And you're like, well, who doesn't drive well? Well, basically, everybody but me. In fact, I even found on Amazon, there is this, this, this light. Could you bring this picture up? There is this thing you can buy for your car. It's a hand light, and you can control it with the remote control. And you can have one that waves. You can have one that goes, I love you. And then there's one where I blurred out what it can do for you. This is, this is $16.99 on Amazon, cheapest price that I've found. I have not bought it yet. I have not bought it. Who's your preacher? Well, he's, he's the guy that has the, the hand. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to go well. I can't submit myself to God, be like God, have his eyes, without dealing with my own stuff. And this goes past just my preference for how everybody else drives, of which I am not alone. This goes even further into my hurts, my habits, my hang-ups. Here's a question to ponder deeply. Do you have a real view of yourself? Have, can you look in the mirror objectively? 
not only see yourself as God sees you, as, as someone he loves, he created, but can you see your flaws? And some of you are like, oh, oh my gosh, I see flaws that aren't even there sometimes. Can you see Do you have a habit? Do you have a hang-up? Do you have something going on in your heart? We can't see others like Jesus until we really grasp how Jesus sees us. We can pray all day long, give me the eyes of Christ for other people so I don't judge and I don't this and I don't this. But some of us, we don't even see ourselves as lovable by him. And until we see Jesus like he sees us, until we, 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 until we see ourselves like Jesus sees us. Until we won't be able to see others. So how do you see yourself? How do you see people who are different from you? How are you doing with loving others just the way they are? I have a buddy, and I love telling the story. And I'm, I've probably told this story before. Uh, but I have a buddy named Caleb. And uh, Shauna and I, uh, way, way, long, long time ago, a couple of decades, so, so long ago, we were uh, pastors of this college ministry at a, at a, at a different church and had this uh, guy in the group, uh, his name's Caleb. And Caleb uh, worked for Starbucks at the time. Now, if you've never been to a Starbucks, one just opened here in town, uh, they're pretty common uh, all around the world and so much so that they're not even special anymore. So Caleb worked for Starbucks at a time when everybody wanted to go to Starbucks. And apparently now everybody still does. They just don't really talk about it as much as they used to. Anyway, I, I defer that. Caleb uh, had a general manager, and the general manager uh, was a very open gay man. And Caleb worked around uh, here in, 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 like, rural North Carolina area in a Starbucks where the, anybody who went to church was, was pretty judgmental of someone who was openly gay. And... So much so that most of the people that worked there at that Starbucks kind of just was cordial to this manager, and they never really invited him to things, hung out with him, and the manager understood. Like, if you've ever met a gay person who has a history with church, they get it. They just feel like they're going to always be hated by people who say they follow Jesus for the most part, especially during this time. Maybe it's not that way as much anymore. It's kind of up to us. But Caleb, he, he was just, you know those dogs, those big, like, I don't know what kind of dogs they are, but they're always, like, smiling and running, and they don't realize how big they are, and they run around the house, and they just knock things over, and they're just smiling. The whole, that, that's what Caleb is, like, personified as a person. He would hug everybody. He didn't really care if you weren't a hugger. He would just come up and throw his arms around you. One of those guys. So you both kind of loved him, and if you were an introvert, you just had to get yourself ready. You know, because Caleb was coming around. And Caleb was always, like, hanging out with this, this manager. And he would give him a big hug when he saw him at work. And he would invite him to things at his house. And he was, all this stuff. And, and he was taking out the trash with this manager one night. And this manager looked at him and said, listen, I know you go to this church, and we're not supposed to talk about stuff like this at work. But you know I'm gay, yet you treat me totally different from some of these other people who are church people. And I just want to know what's up. Like... Do you go to like a universalist church? Do you go to this? He goes, oh, no, man, I go to this church down here. And, and yeah, lots of people, uh, you know, they, they just, I, I don't know. He goes, but um, I, I'm just me. And he goes, well, I got to know, like, like, why are you different than most people in church? 
that I've met, he goes, I don't know. He goes, well, why do you, why do you do what you, he goes, oh, well, I just love you. And he gives him this big old hug. And then Caleb, in his kind of goofy way, said one of the most important truths that stick, stick with me decades later. He said this. He said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't love you because of who I am. I love you because of who you are. No, reverse that. I don't love you because of who you are. I love you because of who I am. Who you are has nothing to do with whether you're lovable or not. Who you are has nothing to do with whether you should be included or whether I treat you with respect and dignity or not. I do that out of the heart of who I am. And it's that statement that really sticks with me when Paul wrote in Romans about unity. And I want to pray this prayer. Jesus, help me to embrace myself and others like you embrace me. So one way to pray for unity is, is that first way. The second way to pray for unity is pray to be a source of peace no matter what. Pray to be a source of peace no matter what. Now, does that mean that you just avoid any kind of conflict? No, absolutely not. The, pe- the peace of Christ will actually bring conflict where there is no peace. It will bring justice where justice does not exist. The peace, when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, he wasn't saying, blessed are the peacekeepers. The peace of God is not just keeping our mouths shut when things are unjust or unjust. Pray to be a source of peace no matter what. And again, Paul says in Romans 12, if it is possible as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If it is possible is in red. Because I think we've often romanticized what Christian unity should look like. Things aren't perfect here on earth yet. And no matter how hard I try, I, I can't be everybody's best friend. And not everybody's going to agree with me. And there's even people who are going to have conflict with me, me with them. If it is possible means that sometimes it's probably not peace, it's not possible to live in peace with everyone. It means that sometimes there won't be peace. And this bothers me. This really bothers me because there's about three people that I currently feel like I'm not at peace with. What do I do? What do I do when I feel like I've done what I can do? Well, how do I be a source of peace no matter what? Does this mean that I'm just like a good Southerner? You know what I mean? Like a good Southerner? Like I just say, bless your heart, when behind that we know what that really means? Does this mean that when I see people that I don't have peace with, that I'm, I'm just faking it the whole time? Does this mean that I'm just passive-aggressive or gossipy whenever I don't see them? Does this mean that I just kind of embrace that whole mantra, love the sinner, hate the sin? You know what? If I first see, when I see a person and I immediately na- label them as a sinner rather than a neighbor, it's going to be awfully hard for me to live at peace with that person. It's going to be awfully hard for me to love that person. It's going to be almost impossible for me to see that person as an equal, much less an image bearer of the Most High God. 
If Jesus commanded his disciples to love the sinner, they would be insiders and other people would be outsiders because they will have already labeled everybody else that doesn't think like them and act like them and follow Jesus like them as a sinner. And Jesus' disciples would be this elite clique of people. And when you're in a room full of people who are in an elite group or in a clique, you feel how you just don't fit in. In fact, you feel so out of place and you feel unwelcome. Here's a better statement rather than hate the sinner, love, I mean, love the sinner, hate the sin. Here's a much better statement. Love your neighbor despite the fact that you are a sinner. Well, Pastor Nate just didn't call out sin today. He's saying that we just need to get along with everybody and we need to overlook stuff. Wrong. No. Do not miss out on what I'm saying. I literally just called you a sinner. Don't miss out on that. Welcome to Albemarle First Assembly where the preacher just builds you up. And that out of all the commandments in Scripture during Jesus' time, over the six, over 600 commandments that these Jewish people lived under, the commandment to label someone else as a sinner was never brought up and never taught about as being something we should do in the Christian faith, in the Jewish faith. In fact, like, like, like Jesus never commanded any of his disciples to identify people and label them by their sin. Jesus never commanded his disciples, love each other as I have loved you. But when you see the addict, put up some boundaries and don't share love that, like, they can't can't be trusted. Love each other as I have loved you, except when that person commits adultery and they know they're in the wrong. Then you can't talk to them until after a certain amount of time where everybody knows what's going on and it's gotten better. And, and, and whether they've gotten divorced or whatever, you know, we don't know how much time this is going to take. But at some point in the future, you might be able to talk to them again. Love, love each other as I have loved you, except for the fornicator, except for the person in what you would define as sexual sin except for the person who obviously has some addiction issues when it comes to sex. Love each other as I have loved you, except for that embezzler, except for the guy who loses his temper all the time, except for the gospel. Now, here's some of the hardest things about Christianity for me today, that I love people who also want to follow Jesus, who have wrong things in their life that I disagree with. That's hard. Well, loving them is confronting them. Well, sometimes. Sometimes loving them is loving them. You know, humans first think, can I survive in a crisis? Can I, can I make it the rest of the day? Can I, can I breathe? Can I eat? Like there's, this, there's these needs that we have as human beings. Our first thought is, can I survive? Am I loved? comes after that. I want to tell you the story about, about Frank. Frank was born rich. His dad was a famous fashion designer. He designed cloth and fabric and created these, these not just clothes, but tapestries and different things. And, and Frank was known as a party animal. His nickname was Dominus. What a fantastic nickname. Dominus. You know why his nickname was Dominus? Because they, he was labeled the king of 
of a party, lavish parties, socialite, food and drink and women. In his 20s, he became sort of a political military dude. He fought in two wars. One was a civil war in Italy, and he was a POW in Italy for over a year. And when he had a confrontation with Jesus, everything was dramatically transformed. He renounced everything that he owned and moved in with the poor. He spoke up and he became an advocate for people that that could not advocate for themselves. He took churches that were bombed out and in ruins and he rebuilt them. And he is also credited, this once military dude who was taken as a POW, he was also credited with stopping wars. Frank is known as St. Francis of Assisi. And he wrote a prayer that is a prayer of humility. And if we could model, model some of our prayers after humble prayers, if we can sit with some of the things that have been written and just really evaluate where we're at, look at ourselves in the mirror, we, we might be able to find unity in the middle of the diversity of this world. I want to read this prayer for you. Like this, this is powerful. Listen to this. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Just stopping there. Make me an instrument of your peace. What does that look like on Monday morning? What does it look like on Thursdays? Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. When I, when I pray this prayer a lot of times, I take that, that third line, where there is hatred, let me sow love, and I read each line after it, where there is injury, let me sow pardon. Where there is doubt, let me sow faith. Where there is despair, let me sow hope. Where there is darkness, let me sow light. Where there is sadness, let me sow joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. Sit with that a second. Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled. That's to console, to be understood, as to understand, to be loved, as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, and it's in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. And that's the gospel, that we give away our judgments, we give away our hatred, we give away even our very lives so that we can receive that that we need the most from God so that we can again give it to others. How do we pray for unity? How do we, how do we work toward peace? I would say pray the prayer of St. Francis a lot. Sit with some of that and let it just kind of dig into who you are. Most times I believe our prayers are prophetic, meaning that we are praying for things of which we do not see happening or that we do not see existing. And we, we pray out of this prophetic hope of saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. I don't see it fully right now, but I believe you. 
And even the prayer of St. Francis where I'm praying that I may not be so much this, but that I may be this, that is oftentimes a prophetic hope of a prayer. Gang, we can have our facts right and our theology sharp and our doctrine and our practices down, but if our hearts aren't set on him, we'll miss God. And we'll give in to division. We Christians choose humility or humiliation. Humility is voluntarily lowering ourselves in front of a right-sized God. Voluntarily making myself small and recognizing God's bigness. Humiliation means that he reminds me how big he is. I want to remind you of our text. I want to remind you of this prayer from Paul before we just pray together and we close our service today. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with others in accordance with Christ Jesus so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray this prayer of St. Francis together before we leave. We're going to sing a chorus a couple of times, and then we're going to pray our benediction prayer.